morning. Welcome to Cornerstone. My name is Morgan. I'm on staff at the church. Um, if we haven't met or you're new to the church, um, I'd love to get to know you. I'll be in the atrium area after the service. Uh, if you don't know me, uh, introduce yourself to me. Love to get to know you. We are in the midst of a sermon series entitled God at Work in the Wilderness. And we have been recounting Israel's journey from slavery in Egypt to the promised land and the wilderness journey in between. God sought to teach his people lessons in the wilderness, and those are the lessons that we're seeking to draw out uh, in this series. What were the lessons that God had for his people in their wilderness journey, and what can we learn in the midst of our wilderness journey as a church and in our wilderness journeys as individuals. Um, so this morning, we're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 14. And if you're a person who likes to read ahead and things like that, um, Pastor Steve next week will be looking at the same two chapters. So we're going to be looking at them from different angles. This morning will be more of an overview, and Pastor Steve will then next week dive into some specifics about it. So spend this week and really dive into to these two chapters. Um, if I'm honest with you, these two chapters, when we planned this series months ago, um, these two chapters have just more than anything been just difficult for me, just wrestling with, kind of been messing with me a little bit the, of the challenge of it. These texts are hard um, that we're going to look at today. It is challenge. It is especially challenging for leaders in the church. But it's not just a challenge for leaders in the church. It's a challenge for all of us. And so this morning will not be the most eloquent of messages. I won't have neat points. We're going to read a lot. And I know that sometimes when we read larger portions of Scripture, it's easy to drift off. Um, and at any point in this message, if you have to drift off, do it while I'm talking. Um, today, when, when we read the text itself, I want you to pay extra attention. Let the text speak. Because I'm going to be honest with you, if, if you don't hear what God is saying to you in these two chapters, nothing I say will, will mean anything. Let the word of God illuminate your heart and your mind this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is breathed out by God. Numbers chapter 13 and 14, part of that. So let the word of God speak this morning. So we've been discussing how the wilderness journey could have taken 14 days with a direct route from Egypt to the promised land. Two weeks is how long it would have taken them to walk, but we've talked about how it shouldn't have taken 14 days, right? God had things to teach his people in the wilderness and standing in the way of the direct path were the Philistines. And God said in, um, in, in, in Exodus that if the people encountered the Philistines, they would have returned back to Egypt if they 
went into battle with them. And so it, it shouldn't have taken 14 days, but it also shouldn't have taken 40 years. And you probably say like, yeah, duh. Like that's the most obvious statement you could have made. Of course it shouldn't have taken 40 days. If the root is 14 or 40 years, if the root is 14 days, it shouldn't take 40 years. And have you ever wondered like, why are the Israelites so bad at navigating? Like we've, we're gonna make the claim that the ideal time for the Israelites should have been two to three years in the wilderness. And we'll see that this morning. This morning, we're gonna find out how it went from a journey where they were on the border of the promised land two years in and how it then took from that point 38 more years to go in. See, in the wilderness, God's people faced a dilemma. And it's a dilemma that you and I are not exempt from. Faith or fear. Will we have faith or will fear take over? And I think that this is actually the key question of the entire wilderness. And I, I don't believe I'm over dramatizing that. I believe that that is the key question of the wilderness. See, it's easy to think like, oh, they were bad at navigating when we talk about them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But what we're going to see this morning is that they weren't bad at navigating. They were on the precipice of the promised land two years into their journey. And fear took over. And it was their lack of faith that caused God to not allow them in to the wilderness yet. So looking back at what was the promise of God to them, God came to Abraham, Genesis 12, verse 6 and 7. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh and Shechem, the time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there for the Lord who had appeared to him. God then comes to his son, Abraham's son, Isaac. Genesis 26, verse 3, says, stay in this land for a while, the land of Canaan. And I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. God comes to Jacob, Genesis 28, verse 13. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you were lying, because Jacob was camping in Canaan so that land you're lying on will be the land that I will give. Joseph, in Genesis 50, 24, then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and will take you up out of this land, out of the land of Egypt, to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then God came to Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, 
7 through 10. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And that's exactly what happened. They came out of Egypt, and then they began this wilderness journey that we've been talking about. And now to Numbers chapter 13. They're in a city called Kadesh, Barnea. It's nearing the border um, of the promised land. And they're two years in. Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some of the men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Parn. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. These are their names. And then it says, from the tribe of their name and then son of whomever their father was. And so the names of the 12 leaders were Shemua, Shaphat, Caleb, Egal, Hoshea, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Amiel, Sehor, Nabi, and Guel. Then verse 16 says, These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. So it said, From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. This is Joshua. And an interesting linguistic thing here is Hoshea, the, that word means salvation. And then Moses changes his name to Yahushua. God is salvation. So Moses changes Joshua's name from Hosea to Yahoshea. And let's see what happens. So they're sending these 12 people into the land of Canaan to explore it. All right, verse 17 through 20. That when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev, on to the hill country, see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went. And they explored the land, and they were tasked with, tell us all about the land. What's the land like? What are the people there? What are they like? Give us a report back on all that you see. Verse 25, at the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So they're exploring the land for 40 days, these 12 they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly 
and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. So they grabbed some fruit as they were tasked with doing, brought it back. They said this land is exactly what it was promised. God had said it flowed with milk and honey. They said it, it does. It is exactly as God said it would be. Milk and honey. Milk symbolizes that it's rich for cattle. It's a symbol of domesticated animals producing an abundance. Milk and honey. Honey is natural. There is an abundance if you farm the hills, and there is an abundance in the wild. This is a land of abundance. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a land exactly as God said it would be. Verse 28 through 33. But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large, we even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Remember, the whole time God said, I'm giving you the land of these people. And the land was exactly as God said it would be, but then they encounter the very people that God said were in the land, and they became terrified. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. It's been noted, and this is pretty interesting, that we're replaying the vocabulary of the choice before Adam and Eve here in this text. See, Adam and Eve had a choice of trusting God's word or being influenced by the inhabitant in the land, the serpent. And they took of the fruit, which meant not trusting God's word and being influenced by the inhabitant of the land, and their taking of the fruit expelled them from the Garden of Eden and in a reversal here. The question before the Israelites is, will they trust God's word and God's promise, or will they be influenced by the inhabitants of the land? And this time, trusting God's word means taking of the fruit of the land and going into the promised land. This time, trusting God's word does mean eating of the fruit of the land. See, God had promised this land to them. God had led them out into the wilderness. God had moved in a cloud and fire to guide them 
He had miraculously provided for them day after day after day, every day. He provided for them miraculously every single day. They get to Kadesh, bordering, nearing the border of the promised land. And it was exactly, the land was exactly as God said it would be. It was lush. It flowed with milk and honey. There was great fruit, but they saw the other nations there. They're big, and we're scared. There's no way we can take them. They didn't have faith that God could bring them into what God had promised them. Fear got the better of them. They saw the very thing that God had promised. But all they could see were the difficulties and the obstacles that awaited them. And then Caleb. Caleb said, silence the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take it. We can certainly do it. Caleb, I mean, what an example for us. Who will be a Caleb among us saying, let us go? I understand the difficulties, but let us go live into the promises of God. Chapter 14. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They are bordering the promised land, talking about how good it would be to be back enslaved in Egypt, all the way back where they were at two years before. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Verse five, then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jehuphanah, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. The people in the land might be of larger size than we are, but we have the Lord. Their protection is gone. We have the Lord. Verse 10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? 
And then God says, I'll bring judgment on them. And Moses pleads before the Lord. Look at verse 19. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Moses says, God, forgive them, just as you have forgiven them each and every step along the way. Forgive them of their sin. Verse 20, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, as surely as I live, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to these ancestors. Not one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. So God says, I've forgiven them, but their lack of faith in me, now they won't inherit what I promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. I'm going to do it. I am going to do this. I am faithful to what I have promised, but those people won't see it. I've forgiven them of their sin. I'm going to fulfill my promise, but these people won't see it. These people won't see it. Verse 37, so the 10 people who um, created a false report about the land, um, they, we'll see what happens to them in verse 37. Verse 37, these men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down, died of a plague before the Lord. The men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jehufane, survived. And then the last few verses of the chapter. When Moses reported all this to the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country, saying, Now we are ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned. So after the 10 were struck down and died, the people said, now we're ready. We're ready to go now into the promised land. Verse 41, but Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You'll be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites, the Canaanites will face you there because you have turned away from the Lord. He will not be with you. You will fall by the sword. And then it says, nevertheless, in their presumption, they went up and then what God said hap would happen, happened. Those nations came up and pushed them back. God said, this is the land that I am promising you. And they saw it. Those 12 stepped foot in it. But all they could see 
where the challenge is. And what is, I think, very sobering about this text is the people of God had complained the entire time, right? How many times have we heard them say, I want to go back to slavery in Egypt? They hadn't experienced joy in the process. The lessons that we're talking about, a lot of them they hadn't learned. But it's here. It's here on the border, nearing the border of the promised land that God draws the line. It's here where they had stepped foot in the promised land and then fear took over. They didn't have faith that God would bring them into what God had promised them. And it's here that God says, everyone who saw what I did, who saw, who emerged out of the Red Sea, who was provided for day after day, who experienced the miracles, everything that I did, not one of them who saw all that will, will inherit what I will bring about. And actually, what's interesting is that in chapter 14, um, verse 3, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children, our children will be taken as plunder. But it's the children who will be the ones who inherit the promised land. It's, it's at this point each tribe sends one person into the promised land. They had set foot on the soil that God had promised them, and it is their lack of faith that prevents them from experiencing what God had promised them. Faith or fear? They chose faith. They chose fear. <laughs> they didn't choose faith question that I have for us this morning, is fear clouding your vision from seeing clearly the goodness and the promises of God? What is it that you are fearful of? Each of us has different things in our lives, in our hearts, that cause us fear. And the question is, will we allow that, those fears, to cloud over the promises of God? The people were right near the promised land. It was the point that their whole journey had culminated towards. But all they could see was what was standing in their way. All they could see was their fear. They couldn't see the promises of God. They couldn't remember the miracles of God and how far God had brought them. Is fear clouding your vision this morning? And if it is, let's get our eyes off of the fear so that we can get our eyes back on the promise giver. Back on God, the one who is with us, the one who came to earth to die for us, the one who is with us always. 
Are your eyes on God and God's promises or on fear, whatever that fear may be? So as the worship band comes back up, I just want you to spend 30 seconds and think about this question to yourself. Where is your fear clouding your vision from seeing the promises of God? Where is fear in your life? What are you afraid of that's causing you to take your eyes off of God? Spend 30 seconds and think about that.